0: You listen to me. Your Nick Fucking
1: Whoa, Cage.
2: Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting, it's your main man Andy Gillard here, hope everyone is keeping well this week.
1: Hi everybody, Matt Guy here, rocks and raring to go, hello. Hello everyone, yeah we are here
0: to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and Andy has got a massive smile on his face just at the mention of the mere name of it, hello everyone. Doesn't exist, we're done with the MCU then. <laughs> <now.
1: laughs> it's that simple. <clears throat> I saw a Facebook sponsored post. An enemy said it's the best possible way to kickstart Phase Five. Yep. But all yes, I've heard is. is negativity.
0: Yeah, because you listen to him. That's why.
2: But he's ilk <laughs> who don't who don't have fun. It's really boring. Really, really boring. Like the whole film is just. I've got a daughter. Where's my daughter? there's, there's my daughter. Oh, she's missing again. Where's my daughter? There's my daughter. This is A-Kang. That's the whole fucking film. Like, it's really bad. Really, really bad.
1: Is there any... I mean, I'm not going to watch it, but don't spoil it for anyone that hasn't watched it yet. But is there at least something interesting post-credit-wise for it? Yeah, both of them. Like, very good.
2: No, nothing. (laughs) No, I mean, there is. The second one, I think, probably is a bit more relevant um, than the first. But, yeah. Yeah, there's something there, but yeah, I'm. Um, I've got to the point. I was talking to our mate Ash Dolan, like I, I feel like Guardians might be the final chance for me. If that isn't a James Gunn film, I'm probably done. Because if it's just a Kevin Feige film that James Gunn happened to direct, I'm just not interested anymore.
0: But he won't be. <laughs> we'll be back here in two years' time,
2: talking about the same thing <laughs> over and over again. Uh, We'll see. Groundhog Day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are here though to discuss the unbearable weight of massive talent um it would help if i open my notes app up though wouldn't it let's be honest
1: well Andy, uh, let me let me interject there while you're just you'll find a bit of prep stew i've got a question for you i've mm. been in western supermare today um for um sam's family do like they used to do like a uh, an annual family bash and they all stop in a hotel and they all do this and that. Have you ever been on a holiday to a seaside town, to a hotel, like a and you've negotiated with the hotel to have free drinks as part of your package of staying with the hotel?
0: I haven't, but I've been in a situation where that has happened.
1: This is the strangest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I was there, at, like, so basically they'd negotiated to get one pound drinks after 6pm. And I was like, how the hell do you negotiate with a hotel what you're going to pay for drinks? And they were like, yeah, like we do it all the time. We just pay, we just, you know, we've brought 25 people to the hotel and we've put so much money, like to pay for the rooms and, and, and your, our meals and stuff at the hotel. And we negotiated the drinks. I was like, is that a thing? Is, is, this, is this a thing?
0: I don't think it's actually it it depends how how if they go there all the time and then know the people um I'm guessing that it's an independent
2: mm-hmm. um
0: hotel as well so it, I think it was the Sand Sandringham or Sand not Sandhurst um mm-hmm. it was something sand based um in Blackpool where my dad's mate ran it for years um so when we are in, was kids, but I still remember it happening because you remember it being odd. And then when we went back years later, it still applied. <laughs> like because again, you went as a as a big group of people. Like with that, in that case, it was the football club um, that you were taking twenty people there, and they'd give like they put it was almost like a deposit. Like oh, here's yeah. your two hours in the bar for half price, and then after that, it's back to normal. But, because otherwise, what are you going to do? You're in Blackpool. You're going to drink in it wherever you want. But in this case, because there were so many people, it just seemed to work out. And I think it's it's um, a through the books policy. Let's just say <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but Actually, it, it, yeah, it's not it's not as weird as you think. It, it does go on.
1: Just, this is bizarre to me, but then. I just—I thought oh, it was brilliant. I suppose you know, you—you you know that for for that little bit of time, you're going to be there, and you got cheap drinks and stuff. But it was just—it was. I thought if one man has lived and breathed this stew, <laughs> so I know you, you've at least heard of it. So I was right in some degree.
2: Yeah. There we go. Mm. It does end a very stew thing. I, I'm <laughs> in agreement with you there. Uh, yes, yeah, so, unbearable um, weight of massive talent, um, having to cast our minds back a little bit because it was this time last year. Um, do you remember what your thoughts were going into this move? Obviously, there was quite a lot of hype that it was Nicolas Cage, ask Nicolas Cage, what were you, what were you worried about or what were you looking forward to,
1: Matt? I, I had a worry that because there was no hype this time going into it, like I was really looking forward to it, when it came out I thought that when I'd watch it this time it wouldn't have the same pizzazz and um, you know excitable feeling of looking forward to it watching it just again um, so that was my worry going into it that I probably it might have lost a bit of its charm maybe because I was so looking forward to watching it when it came out you know originally. Mm. Stu about yourself? Um
0: as soon as the concept the concept was mentioned, it was like it, this. In theory, sounds like one of the greatest ideas ever, um, but when you get things like actors playing themselves, and like we've seen in certain cage films of other actors playing themselves, um, where it's either hit and miss, and <laughs> there never seems to be a middle ground with it, but trepidation, I suppose, because it looked so, it sounded so good. And even the teaser trailer, which I did watch for this as well at Mm. the time, just out of curiosity more than anything else. Because I don't think it was you. I think someone else mentioned it on Twitter that you watch this and it looks as mental as it possibly can be. And didn't know that that's what it was for at first. But yeah, it was more a case of don't, please don't mess it up because it sounds like a great idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was very much in a similar boat to yourself going into it. It was, it had so much promise, but there was always that little bit of a fear because we have seen people play versions of themselves and it's gone horribly wrong. Um, obviously, with our boy Pedro being in there, hopes were pretty high just based off the fact that they'd clearly put money into the cast outside of Nick Cage. So the rest of the cast... Uh, Tiffany Haddish, Sharon Horgan, Neil Patrick Harris, Ike Barinholtz, all people who've done really good sitcom work and film work in their own right as well. So actually, that's a really solid cast when you look around outside of the main man himself. So I was quite pleased with that. Um, The director is a Tom Gormican, who up until this point, he'd only directed a very run-of-the-mill comedy, which I think it might have been an Amazon Prime movie. Um, called that awkward moment, and then this. When <laughs> when I originally looked, like he had nothing else in the pipeline, but I've I've just looked now to see if there's anything else being attached to the director. And there's another film that he is attached to direct called Macau, which I had to Google, and apparently oh. Macau is a region in China. And that's literally all I know about this film because it just says in development. No, no one else is attached to this movie, so I have absolutely no idea what's going on. But it does look like Tom Gormick, and he's going to be doing something else. But it, it kind of feels like he came, did this, smashed it out of the park, and it's a, still a bit of an unknown entity. I'm sure there's a type of bird from there. Quite from possibly. There. I don't know. Google just tells me it's officially the Macau Special Administrative Region of the People's Republic of China. That's literally all I know about it.
0: Oh. <laughs> Macau, China birds. <laughs> <laughs> you you not think I'm or... not thinking of a macaw before you say it now. I thought it was
1: more of uh, more of a cacao.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh dear. Terrible joke. Great execution. <clears throat>
2: <laughs> found anything to do?
0: I found some like some cuisine. And they do Formula formula 3 there, but nothing on
2: birds. No. I mean, that could have gone horribly wrong when you were searching for McGowan birds, but never mind. (laughs) Uh, IMDB describes this film as, in this action-packed comedy, Nicolas Cage plays Nick Cage, channelling his iconic characters as he's caught between a superfan, played by Pedro Pascal, and a CIA agent by uh, Tiffany Haddish. I'm Nick Frigga!
0: Okay! What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor?
1: No. (sighs) What did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Ah, man, I'm driving through the hills. I'm sorry. One more time. We got another offer. It's a million bucks. It's to attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party.
0: The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi.
1: Javi. Mr. Cage. Excuse me. Is Javi
0: going to want me to, uh, you know. I'm not sure I understand. Look, it's Javi. I am Javi. Nick Cage. God, this place is stunning. What is your favorite movie? That's one of those questions that's impossible to answer. You can't just limit it to one. Imagine me and you. Is it too much? is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. I
2: don't know that was a cliff! We could have died! Ah!
1: (laughs) I'm in position. I think that's the actor, Nick Cage.
2: Nick Cage? I love you! Have you seen Croods too? I'm 44 years old. Why
0: would I
1: see Croods too? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. What do you guys want?
2: We're with Central Intelligence. Do you know who you're spending time with? One of the most ruthless men on the face of this planet. I need you to help the U.S. government.
0: Let's
2: kill this. Find a way into that room, Nick.
0: I can see
1: myself doing more of this stuff. I think I might have a real gift for it.
0: Good, because we got another mission for you. No, 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 no. Your friend is working for the U.S. government. Don't lie to me. Are those my golden guns? They're my golden guns. I don't want to kill you. You're the last person I want to kill. I love you. I love you. I'm Nick Frigga.
2: So this film begins with a young woman being kidnapped while she's watching Conair. We then meet Nicolas Cage. Cage's career has gone to shit. He's still trying to find that role that will reignite his career. Not only is his career on the outs, so is his relationship with his daughter, Addie, and the ex-wife, Olivia, played by Sharon Horgan. And on top of all of that, he's also broke. But once he gets that role, he'll be back. Not,
0: Not the that he way. went away. <laughs>
2: sadly he doesn't get that role so he gets drunk at his daughter's birthday party and makes an ass of himself whilst trying to show out with a song that he said he had wrote for Addy (laughs) drunkenly that night he returns to his hotel room where he tells his manager that he's going to quit his manager tells him that there is one last job and it is to attend a party in Majorca at a playboy billionaire's mansion for one million dollars that that was twenty minutes of the film you know, like it it started off really quite quickly and got straight into the meat of the story, which I thought was excellent uh Matt, what did you think of the opening of this movie?
1: yeah, i liked it I liked the um it doesn't dilly dally around and kind of sets the main points pretty quickly the it you know the problems with his estranged daughter the c i a stuff and sets the scene of why he's going. You know, quite concisely, there was there was no, you know, it didn't feel dragged out or anything like that. And I think it was refreshing straight away to see that it wasn't going, well, it slightly was, but it wasn't going down a crazy um, experimental route with it. It was still pretty route one, to use a footballing term. It wasn't like, it was an adaptation or anything like that, put it that way. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the start of it, and it set the scene for what was going to happen in the rest of the film pretty well.
2: Mm, yeah Stu your thoughts yeah but like,
0: saying so it's not like adaptation yet he's talking to himself yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with with the introduction of Nicky <laughs> he's uh, his younger 1994 self which was I mean first time of seeing that it was just just giggling to myself at the top of my voice because obviously it's not Valley Girl it's something it's the other one World around the same heart. time World at yeah. Heart. yeah 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 um,
2: that's but the golden interview version of of Nick Cage, isn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so getting Nicky and getting Crazy Cage when he's reading the the script on the steps, without reading it and just shouting it at him in his face, and then you get the the, the terrible song on the piano. And I think mean, yet yeah, this is perfect. This is it. all the doubts that it had beforehand gone gone straight away because it, I don't think this film could open any better than it did. Mm
2: agreed like the meat of the story is when he's in Mallorca you just need to set stuff which is exactly what they did they gave you all the plot points that were going to pay off later in the film and there was just zero fat on this script they, they got into it perfectly I like that they sort of play on the fact that probably like 2022 Nick Cage bar pig as we've discussed on this podcast he's had the dark years hasn't he and some people aren't going to know that he's come out of the dark years or that he's on his way out of the dark years, should we say. So I think if you didn't know what Nick Cage is doing now, you wouldn't necessarily be shocked to hear if he was bankrupt almost. Mm. It, it almost feels like this could ha- actually happen to him. So I yes, thought that was great.
0: I remember at the time talking about this when, when, we'd, when we'd seen it first time round, and when I was talking about it at work. And amazingly, when it started appearing on the side of buses as well um, yeah. and people say oh Nicolas Cage, like the one from Face Off, like he'd done nothing for 20 odd years mm-hmm. and these are the they're just the normal people who don't watch all this stuff um, but you are right, there is people like that out there including who I know personally, who, who did think he'd gone away or he'd retired because they haven't seen it on his name in lights or doing a big mm-hmm. big film for a long long time they weren't there
2: for the primal years, were they? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> they missed the um, that leopard or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> yeah,
2: what a film. Uh, Cage arrives at the docks and he's ready to go to the mansion. He checks with the boat driver what Javi is like. He's not going to want Cage to suck his dick or fuck his <laughs> wife or watch me watch him fuck his wife. But then the boat driver reveals that he is actually Javi. The look on Pedro's face, that sweet, sweet man, he's just so happy to meet his hero. It was quite adorable. I loved it. Initially, Cage was annoyed with Javi wanting to spend time with him and improvising scenes from a film which Javi was writing. Soon Cage eventually softens his stance towards him. Seeing a kindred spirit in Javi, they bond over their favourite movies, Face Off, The Cabinet of Dr Cagliari and Paddington 2. It made Javi want to be a better man. <laughs> Javi goes to bed, Cage goes to the bar, where a hero is met by his younger, cocksure, confident self, Nicky. Nicky is angry with Nick for accepting smaller roles, because his Nick fucking Cage is a fucking star, and then Nick kisses, Nicky kisses Nick. Nick Cage smooches good. When leaving the bar, two CIA agents take Nick and explain to him that Javi is a smuggler and has kidnapped the girl from the very start of the film. She's some politician's daughter and they're there to get her back. They need Cage's help in order to get closer to Harvey. In an attempt to spy on Harvey for longer, Cage announces he's going to work with Javi on making a film. While snooping around Harvey's compound, Nick sees a room where he believes the politician's daughter may be held. He persuades Harvey to let him have a look in there when Nick comes face to face with a shrine in his honour including a terribly made wax model of (laughs) supporting the golden guns from face off after a day together, whilst high on LSD, they decided the film should be on their relationship. The LSD scene. So like whenever you see a comedy movie, they like to put one particular scene front and center in the trailer and really fucking hammer it home. And this LSD scene was the one that kept appearing in every version of every trailer that they released. But I remember us three being sat in the cinema, knowing like broadly what was going to happen. We all laughed along. Everyone else in the audience laughed along too. It got a really good reaction, that scene did. Stu, thoughts? Yeah, it did. And
0: like I said, a bit seeing, actually, having seen this first and having it kind of, but it didn't really matter because it, the whole thing was so mental anyway. I'd almost forgot it completely existed. Going into the watch the actual film, and so a lot of people had obviously been swayed there by the trailer, like normal people are. But a bit like, like when we went, went to watch Jackass Forever, there was stuff in there that was in the trailer, but people still laughed their heads off at it because it was funny, even like the stupid things like the wall. <laughs> like it, it's just, it was
2: just funny shit, and it worked perfectly. Mm. Matt, that, that probably is the right scene to try and draw audience in isn't it i think
1: yeah it is um the the, the funny thing about it, it was like i remember really laughing hard the first time i saw it but the second time knowing it was coming up the anticipation for the laugh was almost as funny for me as the scene itself like i couldn't <laughs> wait and then when they when they're doing the whole uh, grab my hand and then I've got a very big head, and like it's just it that—that that was the stuff that I missed the first time around because I was laughing, and then obviously the reveal that he could have walked like the whole thing is just really funny, and like the, the the whole like being oh they should be paranoid, and then they look at the two guys eating their ice cream. It's just so good, <laughs> like it, it it's the, because the whole film is a parallel of the film they're trying to make, and obviously mm. intentionally done. Um, this was the absolute peak of the film for me. It does drop afterwards because it needs to have something for everyone, as they say in their own film they're trying to make. Um, but <laughs> it's just this was the peak, and I just absolutely loved it. And the you know the relationship between these two is the real meat and the bread and like the the the, the high point and the drama and the real meat of this film. And I loved it that it does keep a hold of that as the rest of the film goes on. Um, But it peaked here and it was just fantastic. I like, I had a huge smile on my face when I was watching it and that's what you can ask for in a comedy really, isn't it? That, you know, you're smiling throughout.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's the mark of a great comedy for me is that you can return to it later knowing the joke and you're still going to laugh and smile to it. It's excellent, really. It's played perfectly by both Nick and Pedro as well. Just, as you say, the paranoia that leads into this silly little misunderstanding at the wall (laughs) that then gets resolved. And it's really funny. It's excellent. When meeting with the CIA agent again, they tell Nick that he should add a kidnapping plot to their screenplay. Thinking the mention of kidnapping may set Havi on edge. When Cage recommends this to Javi, Javi reacts badly, thinking Cage is losing his mind. Something is wrong. In reaction to this, Javi brings Cage's ex-wife and daughter over to Majorca. Javi says that he needs to bury the hatchet with his family to clear his mind so that he can work on the script unencumbered. Cage takes this as a threat. Meanwhile, Sergio Baldassari head of a mob crime family, makes contact with Javi's cousin Lucas to tell him that they should merge operations after the Catalonian president is elected. This is when we figure out that Javi realises that Lucas has kidnapped the politician's daughter. And this is the moment where the audience finds out that Javi isn't the head of the mob in uh, in Mallorca. Lucas then reveals to Javi that Cage is in bed with the feds as well and gives Javi an ultimatum. Javi must kill Nick Cage, or Lucas will kill Javi. Javi takes Nick out into the wilds of Majorca. Tension is high in the air. Both sense in the end of the line is near. Both men have found a counterpoint in the other, but there's a cloud hanging over them. Both men pull a gun on each other. Javi is confused why Cage is pulling a gun on him. He explains that he's not really the head of the mob, He is forced to be a figurehead by his cousin and cannot leave the family and cannot be with the woman he loves for fear that they will come after her. Lucas's men find Nick and Javi. They start shooting at both of them. They get back to the compound and Olivia says they've kidnapped their daughter. Uh, We also see that the CIA agents at this point have also been murdered. Quite tense. Like, they do manage to ratchet it up with all the silliness beforehand the handbrake turn is quite sharp but it's really effective i think uh, Matt, end of the second act what how are you feeling
1: yeah it, it was to be fair the the funny thing was in hindsight knowing that swerve that that, that Harvey isn't the mobster it's it's really it was really interesting watching nick cage think he is the mobster when we know he isn't before Mm. the reveal. Mm. It was like, Oh, like it's just a really, it was almost like a, it was fascinating to see, but it it wasn't, it it was all intentional. Like Pedro's doing everything intentionally to make it look like he was a mobster when he, we know he knows he isn't, if that makes sense. Um, Tension was high, but then they put that weird bit in with them swapping shoes Mm. Which yeah. I didn't really, <laughs> which I didn't really get. Apart from the gag about him having subpar footwear when they're running, <laughs> when they're running off, like I didn't really get that. Like I, I don't know if that was just to say that, like even though they know they're going to kill each other or one of them's going to kill the other, they are just actually best close friends. Mm. I don't know if that was all it was for, but it, it it did stick out like a bit of a sore thumb for me. And I don't know if it's just because I was i um, D- too dense to realise the joke or something <laughs> but um yeah I mean it, it all went as it should but as they mentioned they've got to get to that tricky third act mm, Um as yeah. they mentioned in the film themselves and I think that was where I was like oh how are they going to what are they going to do here like does it just go into a faux action film and lose its charm of um, you know this uh, this bromance rom-com drama we've had so far
2: mm. Uh, I, I sort of agree with the shoe swapping thing. It, it's a bit bizarre when they're about to gun each other down. But much like you, I, I can only assume it was to show that even in spite of everything else, these men sort of love each other like they mm-hmm. they do recognise themselves in the other person, hence why they feel comfortable enough to swap their clothing. Um, it, it's a bit bizarre, but that's what I assume it must be as well. So I think I'm in agreement with you there. Stu, uh, how are you feeling at this point?
0: Yeah, it's a bit like the um, playing football in the trenches in World War I on Christmas Day <laughs> kind of thingy where you, you, you go into battle in the end, but you're all the same, really. Um, that was what Matt said then was actually one of my um, mentions for The Good, Bad and The Crazy, later with the crazy part where I didn't anticipate it being, for a film like this, for a second watch being so revelatory with regards to him knowing that he isn't a criminal mastermind <laughs> mm. because it it's like you said every the way he does play he plays it obviously to fool everyone anyway and because he's made to and the, but there's no kind of tick where you think oh yeah he's he's just putting this on and it makes it 10 times funnier <laughs> I, I don't know why it shouldn't work and I've never I don't think that this has ever happened before when I've watched something for a second time knowing obviously that it's it's like a a turncoat kind of thing, but I was giggling more the second time because of that whenever he was on the screen, knowing that he was just a shyster um than <laughs> the first time. It was really odd. Really, really odd. But like, there's like there's so many bits in it where we ain't even talked about it. Ever. Like, we ain't talked about jumping off the cliff and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. It was that going to be that big and things like that. Hey, it was so it was so stupid, like a buddy cop film, for half of it, and then this, it turned into Taken for the, for the last forty <laughs> minutes or so. And like when you start having subtitles and like a mob table <laughs> in the sunshine, and it was perfectly perfectly done. And it could have gone very wrong, like we said earlier. With how the whole thing was approached, but how they blended it together was genius.
2: Mm, yeah. Uh, Nick and the gang come up with a plan. Cage is going to dress up as the head of the crime family who hasn't been seen for 15 years. Cage, Olivia, Javi, and Gabriella manage to free Adi and the politician's daughter whilst this is all going on. The group races away to get to the US consulate. They're being hotly pursued. Javi and Gabriella stop behind to slow down Lucas's men. After a wild race through the streets of Mallorca and the whole team race through the gates of the US Embassy, a showdown with Lucas ensues. Addy throws Nick a knife and as he catches it, we cut to a Hollywood blockbuster where Nick Cage catches uh, catches the knife that was thrown by his daughter and stabs Lucas. This is the blockbuster that was written by Nick Cage and Javi. The film goes down a storm. After the premiere, Vanity Fair went to interview Javi and Nick, but Nick wants to spend time with Olivia and Addie. Back in the family house, Cage tells Addie to pick a film, and she asks, have you ever seen Paddington 2? Uh, how did you feel about the ending? It came quite quick and fast, I think, um, but I do feel it needed to, because it hit that point where it, it was ready to boil over, and they just needed to whip it off the heat and get the story told, I think. So I think they did the right thing, once they'd left the the wooded area, just getting through the end of the film, going hard and fast. Stu, how do you feel about the ending?
0: Yeah, worked. <laughs> that's, that's all you can say about it, really. It, it wasn't. I remember what first last year watching it and being a bit disappointed that it didn't go on a bit longer. But then watching it now, it works. It does. It, it makes a lot more sense. And <laughs> again, I'd forgot about like the switch where it's like. Someone else playing his wife when when mm. you see it on the screen, I completely forgot that part happened. <laughs> the whole Demi Moore thing—it mm. just it just worked really well, and I don't think I appreciated that first time around, which is again a very strange
2: thing to happen. A mm. uh, mass? Did it work for you? Yeah, I, I think
1: so because uh, you know when it started to descend into purely just action film silliness, I, I worried it was just going to. Cheap and what had been a funny but thoughtful film up to this point, uh, but it didn't. I I literally guffawed with laughter both the first time and the second time with him dressed as the Italian crime <laughs> head. Um, and I wish there was a tiny bit more of him in that um, mm. because it was really, it really, it really did tickle me. I think, uh, and I I don't know the actor's name, but the guy who played Lucas as well only had a really short amount of time to be the villain but really used his minutes really well Mm -hmm. um and i thought that that last 15 minutes before he meets his end was 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 really good as well so yeah i think the ending needed to be quick but it was kind of fitting really because we got our start we got our end pretty quickly and it was it was the journey of how we got there that was the, the the most important bit it wasn't necessarily the beginning or the end that was the important parts of this film. So I was glad that it didn't drag it out too much.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In in the respects of like... I mean, that's a film you mentioned earlier, Adaptation. The, fil- the meat of the film was before it turned into an action movie. Mm-hmm. The heart of the film isn't about the action, is it? And I think that was the same here. So when it did become the almost parody of that type of film they didn't want to dwell on it and spend another hour doing that, because I think that would have destroyed the the groundwork that they'd put in up to that point. So the budget on this film was $30 million. The box office was $29.1 million. So it didn't even make back its its filming budget, which I I thought was quite strange, really, because it felt like it was everywhere, and it, it also... From what I could gather, like it was quite a well viewed movie. So I'm a little bit surprised that it didn't quite I make its money back. I
1: think it's made its money through Amazon like the, the because mm. it really quickly was like the headliner on Amazon Prime. Like I remember it being on there and being like, Oh man, this has gone in here quick. Um and they plastered it all over Amazon Prime for months. Um, to the point where, like, I, I'm sure it wasn't even that long ago that when you just went on the your, your fire stick, it was the banner when you go down mm. to like anything other than, well, TV8 or Muck or whatever, whatever it is that you use. Um, so, yeah, I think like the, it would have been snapped up pretty quickly. So I, I don't think it would have had a, a theatrical release for very long, to be honest.
0: And you, to you, had, point. you had the America still being COVID obsessed as well at the start of last year. Mm. And for which didn't seem to matter for bigger films like Top Gun Maverick, like literally two two or three months later. Mm. But for li- little ones like this, well, relatively little films like this, it was like, well, you ain't going to get the casual market out for it, am you? They, they'll take a risk for something massive, but just that two months. because I, mean, I remember, because listened to obviously American podcasts and stuff, and they're, they're still very wary twelve mm. months ago. So I don't think that helped it either. Um, but I I would have, I mean, I'm quite amazed about that. I, I thought it would have broke even at least. Yeah. But, yeah, weird.
2: So Unbearable Ways premiered at South by Southwest on the 12th of March before getting its full release on the 22nd of April. Uh, the highest grossing films for April 2022, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 made $190 million that month before going on to make $402 million in total. Another big release uh, is a film which has got a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a Marvel movie that made $163 million against a budget of 80. Stu, do you know which film it was?
0: Um, I'm guessing it's that one.
2: Eternals. It's not, it's not. Uh, if I was to say it's morbid time, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that, it was Morbius. Is that the whole thing or the first run? Uh, that I believe that is its first run, 163. But in fairness, no fucker saw it on its second run, so it probably was 163 or late anyway. <laughs> uh, from my view, though, that very much tells you that the quality of a film doesn't necessarily mean jack shit when it comes to how much money it will make. Uh, the scores on this film, Stu, do you want to go first? Tell us what you think. Score out of ten out of a hundred is on this. Well, no, I'm guessing what. Well, I can't
0: remember it being panned by anyone, so I'm guessing critics, round about eight, eighty-five, something like eight. Um, audience, again, I don't. I, people who watched it seem to really enjoy it. Very few who are annoyed unless they were watching it with, without getting the references, which would be a strange thing to do anyway. Hmm. Um, or unless they're younger, obviously they, they wouldn't get it. So maybe that uh, I'll, go, I'll go about the same, about 82 for audience.
1: fair Mass, what do you reckon? I reckon, I reckon 85 for critic, but 75 for audience. Cause I think the critics would have lapped up the more nuanced stuff about, it being meta and everything else a little bit more than the audience would.
2: Mm, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, the IMDb score was a seven point zero. The Rotten Tomatoes audience and critical score was both eighty seven percent. So we're looking at just under, you know, uh, nine out of ten for for your average on Rotten Tomatoes, which I, I think is one of the the stronger scores we've had in both columns. Like it's generally, from what we've seen, we've had one good and the other's been a bit less than. But yeah, it, it seems that everyone seems to enjoy this film. Uh, so the critical response, Clarice Lockery from The Independent. The film rockets through its more conventional action comedy finale purely because both actors throw themselves wholeheartedly into the slapstick. It's a big win for Pascal. Thelma Adams from Movies for Grown Ups. Remaining relevant, a roaring Cage embraces his massive talent as his enormous crazy and soars. Shirley Lee from The Atlantic, even in the scenes riffing on the 90s action movies made, that made Cage a household name, all shootouts, car chases and gunslinging standoffs. Cage and Pascal are magnetic to watch for their earnestness. Uh, one... Negative review that I had to highlight, though, was from Ty Burr, who, according to Rotten Tomatoes, is a top critic from Ty Burr's watch list. (laughs) Um, It's all very clever, but only clever, and swipes ideas from other Better Cage movies. Like, Does he not realise that's the whole point of this movie, (laughs) is to swipe ideas from his other movies? It, It just seems a bit of an odd review, I thought that one was. Obviously, fan reviews were pretty positive as well, except for the maniacs at Amazon.com. They only gave this film a 4.1 out of 5, (laughs) which which for Amazon is like a two star for most normal humans. Yeah, Yeah. it got 75% four or five star reviews. Harry the Hippo gave it a one star review titled Best Film Ever. (laughs) <laughs> this film is incredible, so, so good. The reason it only gets one star is that I can't give it six stars out of five. Sort yourself out, Amazon. What? Yeah. Uh, there's one review I had to read because, well, you, you'll see. Ramtech left a review titled An Investigation of Reviews Required. If ever a film should inisti- uh, initiate an investigation of Amazon reviews and critic ratings, it should be this. Utterly appalling drivel. I can't see why anyone that was entertained when every facet of this film hit rock bottom, starting to lose confidence in Amazon Prime ratings. This was simply dreadful. Like considering the number of Amazon reviews that we've read, this definitely isn't the film that needs highlighting. Just a quick comparison, Iron Man 2 is rated at 4.7. And Iron Man 3 is rated at 4.6. <laughs> They're both higher than Unbearable Weight, but apparently this guy thinks that Unbearable Weight is the film that they need to be investigating. Uh so the good, the bad, and the crazy. Matthew, kick us off.
1: So for the good, it would be um just just generally the bromance element to it. Like it's a relationship that you genuinely care about and genuinely evolves and at the point where we think that they're going to um it's going to dissolve i think like there's a genuine sense of being like disappointed and it being bittersweet that the film has to carry on in that way because it's just so good the relationship between the two of them like so pure and so innocent and i think i think pascal's pascal's the star of this film i hate i, I think he's mad in itself to say mm. like he he like he really carries that element of the the comedy side of it i think better than 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 cage does but as a pairing like their relationship is just so like it's so believable yet mad at the same time (laughs) because these two weird egos that collide with each other um but my bad from an ego side of thing is the 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 nicky thing i just didn't it just didn't do anything for me and i'll tell like and I'll tell you for why. If there was more of that, and it was more things from his career, mm-hmm. because they don't do much of the deep cut in this film. Right. So they mention Captain Corelli's mandolin, and then they go, uh, and he goes, oh, oh criminally underrated, but by the way. And I was like, yeah, it fucking is actually in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: like
1: this film doesn't lean in either direction. It's not, it, it's not for casuals but it's not for diehards either. And I think if it leaned one way or the other, it would have been better. Mm-hmm. So if they'd have done more of the Nicky stuff, but with other of his other ones of his characters, um, you know, if they'd have leaned into um, Face Off a bit more, or if they'd have leaned into his other roles a bit more, I'd have found that a bit more entertaining. But to just have, like, two scenes or three scenes where he's hallucinating about an alter ego, just... It just stuck out a little bit for me. Just, I was a bit like, oh, um, right. So people that have watched this casually won't get it at all. And then people that did enjoy it because they know who he was and they think, oh, I know who he was. That makes me feel special. You only get it once with that mm-hmm. Nicky character. So it was a bit of a wasted opportunity for me, that. Um, and and my crazy is that Nicolas Cage, after reading in some kind of trivia in this, he had to be convinced to even do this film. It's just the most bizarre thing in the world. Like he had to wait until he, like a script was completed and finished and he had to read the script before he'd even agree to it. You just thought that this would just be the, an absolute dream thing to do. But, I, you know, I guess someone who is serious about his films as crazy as some of them can be wants to know it's not going to be a piss take, I guess, as opposed to, you know, a genuine piece of cinema. So I suppose it, it, it's understandable, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. I think they did quite well in their scripting because it quite easily could have gone down the insulting route, couldn't it, I think. But they mm. they did balance it that it was mostly a homage to Nick rather than let's take the piss out of him. So I, I think they did find that balance. And that's probably why you actually say, that he, uh, he he eventually agreed to do it. Stu, you're good, bad and crazy, please.
0: I mean, I was thinking did, with the Nicky stuff, could it have been a rights thing? where a lot of it wasn't cleared to use and different studios are, are in different things. I mean, weirder, more mental things have happened in the past. So you, you could... Re- it it might have been the case because it, it... Thinking about it, I mean, I, well, I mentioned it. I like the Nicky thing because I like that, that era <laughs> of... Um, but to only bring World at Heart character rather than some of the more well-known ones, obviously other than in terrible (laughs) Blackpool waxwork form, um, did seem a bit strange thinking about it. I mean, the the good, I mean, the fact that it, it worked, the fact that they didn't fuck it up was the good thing about it because, like I said, that I was trepidatious about it because of the concept is a bit odd. And who do you market this at, really? And if you haven't got everything, then you can't... Aim it at the cagey the, the files or wherever we are. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, just the fact that everything worked. Not the fact that Pedro was great and everything, because obviously he couldn't be great because it's Pedro Pascal. But the fact that everyone was on point with it, everyone seemed to throw themselves completely into it, regardless of how big or small they, their role was. And it, it just worked. And we haven't seen many of them doing this uh, the last few years. <laughs> And you could see that everyone was having a great old time making it, and it it shone through really. When the the bad being probably, I don't, I don't, you know what, I don't even know if there is one because I've I've watched this three times now, which is rare in the space of a year. I would not do this normally. (laughs) Um, Watch it in the cinema, then I watched it again when it came on Prime, and then again for this yesterday, and every single time I've loved it. And I still laughed as much in different parts in different ways, as I've said. Mm. I, I, you don't know, having a bad? No, oh, it's getting a pass. <laughs> it's getting a pass from being bad. And the, the crazy is, I went. Look, like I mentioned before that I went out of my way to recommend this to people. I know this is coming later on. Um, people didn't think that Cage had done anything for a long time, but then when the. Um, there's a few people who did watch this film on my recommendation who loved it so much, then went on to go and watch the swearing thing on Netflix because of this and seeing that he was back and then go. And because it was on in one of his most recent things of all the stuff to watch because it was on Netflix and it was easy. They mm. went to watch the swearing thing and okay, fine. He might have the same beard and he might look the same,
2: mm. but very different projects but there you are. (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. They need to do a second season of that because there's still plenty of swears that they haven't covered. So, yeah, I think he needs to get on that, definitely. Uh, My good, Paddington 2, he's fucking brilliant. It, It was the perfect choice of film for them to sort of bond over as well. So I think they did really well picking that one. But, yeah, it's Pedro, isn't it? I mean... He's phenomenal in this movie and his career has just gone from strength to strength over the last few years, especially with a lot of people are going to know him specifically from the Mandalorian because before that you might recognize his face, but you possibly wouldn't know. He's one of these you'd see in a film and maybe have to check IMDB on what else he'd done, but he's growing and maturing as an actor now, even to the extent like you've seen him do all his serious stuff and his comedy works now coming in and he's shown that he's got proper comedy chops. And now he's returning back to the serious ways with The Last of Us. But if you were to spend five minutes on TikTok, you'd see Pedro Pascal, the human, interacting with Bella Ramsey because it's all over TikTok and everyone's just fawning over this guy and what a genuine human he seems to be. And it feels like this film played quite a big role in his evolution as both an actor and as Pedro Pascal, the star. So I think he was... Perfect in, in every sense of the word for this film. I mean, uh, coming on to coming on to this
0: after Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty, whatever, um, where he was the
2: best thing about that film as well. <laughs> yeah, hands down. Yeah. Which is an absolute. It's, it's an abhorrently shit film. That is. That's, um, that's the only reason I won't say it's bad is because Pedro's in it because he was brilliant. Yeah, and he, again, he holds it up. And he holds it up by hammering
0: it up mm. from from start to finish. So you have got like the comedy stuff like this you have got the absolute ridiculous in that wonder woman film. And you have got his serious side in Mando and now the last of us as well. So he really can do anything and everything he possibly wants to. And it does seem really odd that it's, it's taken a PlayStation game to make him a world star when he's been doing this stuff for years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, my bad, like as, as great as I think the supporting cast are, and I think supporting cast is the perfect description for them because they all support Pedro and Nick in this. They really help elevate their performances. But my bad is they didn't use Sharon Horgan enough. Like she was really good in it, but Sharon Horgan, it's not like she's just breaking America. She was in Date Night, she was in Man Up, Bojack. Bob's Burgers, like she's done quite a bit in America. She's had a couple of TV shows that have been on HBO. She's known and she's known as a good comedy actor. And Mm. we didn't get to see any really of her comedy chops until the very end when she was playing um, the Italian mobster's young hot wife. Like there's a little bit of a giggle there, but I felt like she was kind of underused throughout the rest of it. As great as she was, I think they could have just given her a a bit more but that might just be because I love Sharon Horgan and felt underserved as a fan of hers and my crazy so I've also trawled through your IMDBs and stuff for a few uh, facts uh, Nick Cage thought Javi was the best written character in the movie so much so he asked to trade parts and Nick <laughs> Cage wanted to play Javi in a film about Nick Cage uh, it wasn't until Pedro Pascal was cast that Cage relented um, the film originally was going to be about Daniel Day-Lewis in the Nick Cage role. And there is talk about a sequel with Daniel Day-Lewis um, reprising, or not reprising, but taking over the role of the actor within the film. Um, I mean, Daniel lewis has effectively retired, so I can't see him doing it, but it would be kind of hilarious to see. Uh, Addie Cage, so Nick's daughter, was played by Lily Sheen. She is Michael Sheen and Kate Beckinsale's daughter, which I I had no clue that she was a a famous kid, but there we go. And also, according to Neil Patrick Harris, Nick Cage had body makeup to cover his tattoos. He was asked why, because obviously Nick Cage is a real human being, and his response was uh, the character didn't have as many wives as him either, so (laughs) he covered the tats. Uh, So did you enjoy the film? Matt
1: yeah yeah I obviously did um it surpassed expectations when I saw it the first time and it kept all um of the joy that I had from the first time I saw it so just can't really ask for anything more
0: Jim yep yeah. when I when I trailed it last week or the week before I can't remember when it was where I said that this is going to tickle the uh, the revised five list when we do it <laughs> Mm, and it it definitely is in that top five. Don't know where, but it is. I love this film.
2: Yeah, completely in agreement with both of you, actually. I think it's, it's one of his best pieces. It's it's brilliant on the film nerd side of me and just the lover of silly bollocks. Like it was, yeah, it's great. Gave me everything I wanted in a, a Nick Cage film. So yeah, perfect. Based on this film and this film alone, was Nick Cage good or bad, Stu?
0: Yeah, of course. He was excellent. So was, uh, so was Pedro, but it's not a Pedro castor, even though he might as well be. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nick Cage was at his very best in this film.
1: Matt, are you in agreement? Is he good? Yeah, of, of course. And the, the funny thing is, you only need this film. <laughs> this is the only film, in the whole ones that we've done, where you can say, "On this film and this film alone, you get your flavour of Nick Cage in all of the different uh, varieties that you need. But yeah, he was great in it.
2: Yeah, it's a clean sweep. He was fantastic. He was en- enigmatic, but also entirely welcoming into his persona and played with the idea of who Nick Cage is to the, the wider world, which is precisely what you needed from that role. He, he did it with a plum. And like I-, I want more films with Nick Cage as Nick Cage now. If they were to do a <laughs> sequel, I just want it to be him. I think the only disappointing thing, really, for me with this film is that Javi doesn't exist because I would love to get Javi on this podcast. <laughs> I feel he would be the perfect, uh, perfect guest to get on here. But yeah, but no, clean sweep, three yeses, brilliant. So finish the sentence. If you enjoyed the unbearable weight of massive talent, you may also like Matt.
1: It's just re- it was just really tough. This I've really struggled with this all um, all day thinking about it because I just can't think of a film like it that. Apart from, I, I didn't want to go down the route of, sort of like actors playing themselves. because I thought that was too that was too easy. So I'm going to go for a film that uh, had no right to be as good as it was, and only because I don't know when I'll get a chance to talk about it unless we do it next week. Um, and that would be Puss in Boots, <laughs> the, new, the new Puss in Boots film. Um, and the reason I do is because it's a film that has a, like a way more heart than it, it like this than um that it has any right to have um it's just an excellent film and people were putting on like twitter and tiktok and stuff that they didn't think that the most emotionally tormenting yet beautiful film of this year would be puss in boots any kind of shrek related <laughs> canon but it absolutely <laughs> is like i think i had some some form of existential crisis after watching this film <laughs> um it's just it's just wonderful and it'll like i it, it's not paddington 2 but it's up there as one of the best animated films of the last decade or however long it's been that I've seen that really made me smile yet had heart to it. And it's just brilliant. And everyone from all facets of casual film to film nerds to the, you know, podcasters to everything. I just raving about it, about how good it is for a film that like had no hype coming into it. Like, Shrek. Now at this point, it's just a, another Fast and Furious. There's, you know, it's just the it's, it's just there's film after film after film. No one really cares anymore. It's got the Ameri- it's like the American Pie thing that they just kept churning out sequels. Hmm. Whereas this just came out of the blue, out of nowhere, and and um, and it's really excellent.
2: I I really want to see it. Just haven't found time to it in, Is it an end of the saga? I mean, it's called the the last stand is it something like wish, that wish is it the last, uh, last wish uh i can't say okay fair um Fairs.
1: but um yeah it's uh <laughs> it's just <laughs> but essentially the, the the whole plot of it is um is that puss in boots doesn't realize that he's used up eight of his nine lives and um he's only got one life left and does he cherish the last life that he has?
2: Okay. That sounds quite sweet, actually. Yeah. Yes. Okay.
1: Trust me. Like it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Um, Brilliant. yeah. I'm not going to say anything more about it. Cause I, I, I want to not, nay need you to see it. Cool. Okay. Stu, what do you reckon? I mean, I've only seen up to Shrek the third, so
0: I'll be behind on the pussy boot saga. Um, <laughs> Look Because it is so weird and unique, semi-unique, this film, I thought, well, the, the only thing I could possibly, that it reminded me of was actors doing something in a film about actors that they're not supposed to be doing, and that was Tropic Thunder. Oh. <laughs> and it's got the same level of stupidity towards the end, um, but throughout the whole film, and obviously the whole Robert Downey Jr. nonsense in it, which is still it blows my mind that that even happened even then. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Let alone now. Um, but yeah, I, I watched it a few years ago. And it's probably more, just for the shock factor, it's more funny now than it was then. Mm. It's, it's definitely worth a rewatch if you haven't seen it for a while. But yeah, Tropic Thunder. The, the only thing that comes close, and that's for part of this
2: film. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good call, actually. Uh, mine, um, like, obviously we've mentioned adaptation a couple of times. So I think that's worth mentioning. It's a film that's very metatextual on a lot of levels, which very much ties in with how this is done. Um, but obviously, check out our back catalogue. We've already discussed that film. We all loved it. Cage was Oscar nominated. It's a great movie. But the film that I was going to go for is Annie Hall. It's one of the earliest sort of meta films that springs to mind for me. A lot of fourth wall breaking. One of the first examples of someone being funny in a film. And people laughing. Like, whenever I watch, like, say Friends, for example, I don't know why that springs to mind, but I remember, like, Chandler cracking at a Wiseacre joke and everyone, all of the audience laughs, but the people on set act like he hasn't just told a joke.
1: Mm.
2: And I find that so bizarre when someone's telling a good joke that they don't laugh. But Annie Hall was the first film that I remember seeing someone tell a joke and humans actually reacting like a human being would. Um, so uh, for some reason that's the first thing that sprang to mind just because of the meta nature of it all uh, so that's my one Is Annie Hall I know it's probably a bit con- controversial with it being uh, Woody but it's it's a good film regardless to be fair uh, so that is another Nick Cage movie in the record books if you've seen this one or any of the others get in contact at CageFightingPod on the socials or CageFightingPod at gmail.com uh, via email If you're listening to us now, obviously, you want to make sure that you're subscribed on whatever podcatcher that you're listening on and please leave us a review. We would fully appreciate that one. And finally, thank you for just giving us your time this week. We truly appreciate it. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Have a great week
1: ahead and uh, check in on your pals. Have a great week.
2: Stu, would you like to say goodbye?
0: Goodbye everyone. I mean if you are listening to this on Monday, we are mere four days away from Cocaine Bear. So let's
2: let's wish the week away and get there quicker. <laughs> goodbye, everyone. It's goodbye from me and remember. I'm not gonna suck his dick or fuck his wife or watch me watch him fuck his wife. <laughs>
1: Excuse me real quick, the
0: guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Yeah, Javi. If Javi wants me to suck his dick or fuck his
1: wife or watch me watch him fuck his wife, that's a no-go. You understand? That's no bueno. I am Javi.